Welcome to the Banking with Life Q&A series. I'm your host, James Nethery, and this is where I answer your questions concerning the infinite banking concept. Let's get started. This channel is very underrated, or this is a very underrated channel. I completely agree with you. It is extremely underrated. But who wants to get up every day and talk about life insurance, right? Not most people, because most people's understanding of life insurance is based on someone else's misconception. When you look at it the way Nelson discovered, it's like, oh my gosh, your need for finance is greater than your need for death benefit. Once you think that through thoroughly and honestly, he's right. And then, oh my gosh, life insurance has all of the characteristics that are required for a private banking system, quote unquote banking. Well, what is, uh, what is banking? What does that mean? What, is, what does that word mean? We can go to Webster's, right? And we can look at that. Banking, the movement of money, loans, loan repayments, deposits, withdrawals, cash flows, banking. And then if we consider banking, what is the what is the product of a bank, a traditional conventional bank? It's money, right? Okay, so we're talking about the movement of money, cash flows when you quote unquote banking, the infinite banking concept. Infinite is finite, not finite, infinite. It's, it's unlimited banking, the movement of money, concept, an abstract idea, worthy of your investigation. This question, what is flawed with the 1090 or the 9010? Um, a lot, an awful lot. And it's like there's so much flawed with that, I can't really cover it in a podcast or in a short episode, especially in a Q&A. This question is based on the 9010 or the 1090 is um, a percentage of premium applied to the base and a percentage of the premium applied to the PUA. So... The 1090 is promoted as a one-size-fits-all. That's wrong. Um, But it's also like 10% premium being paid to the base. And it's so mischaracterized. Um, You know, I've I've heard stupid things like, oh, this buys the life insurance and the other buys cash. So the 1090 is a percentage of premium applied to the base, 10%, little as possible. And then 90% applied to the PUA. And so there are several things wrong with that. It eats up a lot of insurability. It limits the premium that you can pay in the future years. And it's fragile. And it's the longer you go, the more problematic that it becomes. That is not where you start to design a policy. So when there's a blanket statement that you should pay a 1090 premium or buy a policy that's built that way, it's wrong. They're wrong. And if you watch all those videos and come to the conclusion that that's correct, you're wrong. Now, and even if they come from the premise that, oh, 60, 40, quote unquote, 60 to the PUA, 40 to the base is what Nelson did. And so this is so much better because you have more cash in year one. It's all hogwash. Is that the end of the world? No, in certain circumstances, it's not as bad as in other circumstances, but if 1090 is good, 
um, then you can also go 98% to the PUA and 2% to the base. Don't believe that, oh, this company only goes up to that limit, and so therefore that's why we do that. That's wrong. There are companies out there, substantial, stable, strong companies that will allow you to pay 98% to the PUA and 2% to the base. Now, if that's good, um, and it's not, but if it were, why don't you just go purchase tax-free municipal bonds and buy a 30-year term policy, right? It's like, that comes from an idea of scarcity and ignorance, okay? And then ease. If I say to you that this is the only way to do something and everything else is wrong, it's like, then this applies to everybody. It's pretty cookie-cutting. Okay, and this question why don't mutual insurance companies have much cheaper premiums than stock-based companies? Well, why would they? I mean, the, the cost of insurance is, you know, equal to all life insurance companies. And what do I mean by that? Look, um, the mortality costs are the same across the industry, whether stock or mutual companies. The investment returns to the life insurance company are typically the same across all of the life insurance companies. You know, one life insurance company doesn't have, you know, all the financial gurus and they get the best deals and make the best investments, right? The cost of distribution to the life insurance company, whether they're products, and life insurance is a product, make no mistake about it. Is it benevolent? Yes, it is, but the company is in business like any other company in the free market. It is to provide a service and make a profit, right? Um, so the distribution expense to the life insurance company is the same across the board, whether they distribute the products through banks, brokerage houses, independent general agencies, or independent marketing agencies, marketing organizations, an IMO, independent marketing organization. The point is the distribution or whether they just do it through the mail only. Right. The distribution cost is the same. The investment returns are essentially very similar. Um, and over a long period, they're all very similar. So why should a company charge less for a product than another company? It's, um, they, they shouldn't. Why don't they? Why should they? And, and it may be based on the idea that, well, um, a mutual company pays a dividend where a stock company does not. Well... And I don't know that that's true, but I think it is. Yeah, stock companies pay dividends. Absolutely. They just don't pay them to you, the policyholder. They pay them to the owners of the company, the shareholders. So a mutual company that pays a dividend, they're just paid to the policyholder. All right, so that's a, that's a bit of flawed thinking, but um, I hope that helps. And this question, is 70 too late to start? No, 70 is not too late to start. But if you didn't, you know, if you weren't um, interested in, in buying life insurance at 50, 40, and 30, I would ask why not and why are you going to wait till you're age 70? Okay, so the short answer is no, it's not too, lot, not too late to start if you're insurable, but your policy is not going to look like a 30-year-old. Okay, so, but no, it's not too late. Do I make payments to your company or directly to the life insurance company? You always make premium payments to the life insurance company. Always. 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 Okay. And this, well, this is kind of a, 
I think this is a reply to a question that was asked on an episode, okay, in the uh, or a video that's released on our channel. And okay, so the video is a basics of infinite banking, quote unquote, a seminar at a private real estate club. Okay, so the statement here says, no, you don't borrow the insurance company's money. You are borrowing your own money, period. The reason why this is true is because when you borrow a sum of money, your death benefit is reduced by that sum. You will never be able to borrow more than the value of the policy. If you do, the policy will be canceled and the insurance company will keep any residual cash value in the policy. Man, Prima, that's a swing and a miss. That's somebody that thinks they know something and they're trying to explain something that they're not really clear on. So, and that's exactly why this comment wasn't released. It'll be released in addition to this Q&A episode, okay? So, you are actually, in fact, literally, legally, technically, and actually borrowing the life insurance company's money, period, whether you agree or disagree. Whenever you pay a premium to a life insurance company, that becomes their property. You paid a premium. There's an exchange. You paid a premium. They assume the risk of death. Period. Period. Now, if you paid your automobile insurer a premium, is that your money? Crickets. No, it's their money. All right. So, in fact, the premium payment is the life insurance company's property. Now, the life insurance company has to take that premium and net of all their expenses, distribution, mortality, actuary, they have to put the residual, the net, after expenses, to work. All right? Okay, why? Because the death benefit and the future cash value is an obligation to the life insurance company. So they have to put those premium dollars to work to meet their future obligations. Now, when you have dividend-paying whole life insurance, you have a cash value. Now, that cash value is not yours. It belongs to the life insurance company. You have a contractual right if you have a loan provision and a life insurance contract to collateralize that cash value. So you're collateralizing the cash value and you're borrowing the life insurance company's money. Period. Okay. And then you say the reason this isn't true is because when you borrow a sum of money, your death benefit is reduced by that sum. Well, that statement is true that when you borrow, your loan is reduces the death benefit. Well, that's because the cash value is the net present value of a future death benefit. Okay? So words have meaning, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm trying to simplify and convey what's really going on, but words do have meaning. So, okay. You will never be able to borrow more than the value of the policy. Well, you'll never be able to borrow more than the loan value of a policy. So what is the value of a policy? Well, when, you're, when you graduate, the value of that policy that is paid to your beneficiary is the net death benefit. While you're alive, what is the value of that policy? It is a surrender value, which is always typically larger than the loan value. 
right? So you have a loan value. You cannot borrow 100% of your cash value, all right? You can't leverage 100% of your cash value. Here I'm saying words have meaning. So you, if you have a cash value of 100,000, your loan value is going to be less than that. Why? Because these mutual life insurance companies are uber conservative. There's internal reserving that goes on. All right, so they're going to act like you're not going to repay the loan. They're going to act like you're not going to pay the interest. They're going to act like you're not going to pay a future premium payment. So they reserve internally. And then you go on to say, if you do borrow more than the loan value or the surrender value of your policy, your policy will be canceled. It will be, it will lapse. To cancel a policy, you, the owner, has to cancel the policy. Okay. If you do not pay a premium payment, then typically if there are cash values, the policy is going to pay its own premium internally. It's going to start cannibalizing itself. And it will do that until there are no cash values to pay premiums. That is considered and called correctly a lapse. Okay. All right. The insurance company will keep any residual cash value in the policy. No, they don't keep anything. Right. Except their profits. But. You know, so so here's an example, and I can create a ton of examples. If I have a fifty thousand dollar cash value, and I don't pay a premium internally, that policy is going to pay its own premium. If I live long enough, it is theoretically possible and actually possible for that policy to cannibalize itself. It is also theoretically possible for that policy to continue and be in force when I graduate. All right? There is no residual cash value that the company keeps ever. Why? Because the cash value is the net present value of a future death benefit. It is part of the death benefit. Okay, I hope that helps. All right, why do you say cash value is quote unquote tax deferred? Shouldn't it be tax free? Yeah, it should be. But your Uncle Guido can't, you know, uh, restrain himself from taking your private property and seizing your assets and taxing your assets and your efforts. I digress. No, correctly, it is tax deferred. Correctly, life insurance cash values accumulates on a tax deferred basis. Period. That's correct. Legally, ethically, technically, and actually. Should it be tax free? Why, yes. Yes, it should. It is accessible tax-free through loans, okay? So I can withdraw cash values up to my basis, right? My premium paid in is simply my basis on a simple um, example. That's my basis. If I withdraw above my basis, it's taxable, right? Now, if I borrow against the cash value and the policy is not a MEC, then the loan is tax-free. So I can access the cash values on a tax-free basis. But you have to know how your policy structured, why it's structured, the way it is, what you can do and what you can't do. Thank you for asking the question. How many loans can I have out at one time on a policy? Can I have more than one loan out at a time? And can I take more than one loan within a policy year? The short answer is yes, you can have more than one policy loan in a year. Some life insurance companies limit, maybe you can only have one uh, policy loan in a month. Um, So there are some limitations, but you can have more than one. You can request more than one loan in a given year. 
And when it comes to multiple loans, look, the life insurance company is not going to do a loan portfolio accounting for you. They're going to give you an interest due and or an interest paid statement at the end of the year or whenever you ask them. So if I borrow money from the life insurance company, let's say I borrow $10,000 today in January and, and I'm paying it back systematically or sporadically, however I'm doing that. And then, you know, three months later, I want another loan. I go get another loan. The life insurance company is not going to do an accounting for two separate loans. They're going to look at one outstanding loan. So if I borrow 10, maybe I've repaid, maybe I haven't, then I borrow another 10. That's just one outstanding loan to the life insurance company. So you're going to have to do your own loan accounting. Thank you for listening. If you have a question that you would like an answer to, email me at james at bankingwithlife.com. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.